Well, welcome to week two of the series that we started last week called How to Be Happy. Uh, and Stephanie did a great job kicking us off last week. I did want to clarify one thing that she brought up at the beginning, and it had to do with my absence last week that she didn't know. From my perspective, she did know, and she okayed my absence. So I just want to clarify, clean, clean the air while I have the microphone, because um, I feel all powerful here. Um, anyways, so just to recap what Stephanie said last week um, from at least what I heard her say, which, again, might not be the best listening husband ever, but this is what I heard her say. She said that happiness is not about the, or excuse me, Happiness is about the who, see, not a good listener. Happiness is about the who, not the what. So there's no what or thing or object or, you know, whatever that you can touch and feel and see that essentially is going to make you happy. Happiness is about the who. It's about your relationship with yourself. It's about your relationship with others. And it's about your relationship with God. And she went through and kind of debunked a number of happiness myths because we get confused about where happiness comes from. So I'm just going to talk about a couple of those happiness myths that she talked us through last week. The first one is I can buy my way to happiness. I can buy happiness. I can just with enough money go out and temporarily, but in reality, you're just temporarily getting that high from, ooh, this is cool, this is shiny, until it's not cool or shiny anymore because you use it and it gets dirty and it's not as fun and neat. Um, You know, it'll last a few hours, it'll last a few days, maybe even a few weeks of happiness or like increased endorphins, but after a while, it will fade away. She said, no thing, not nothing, but no thing will make you happy. That's the truth. No thing will make you happy. Um, The other one, I don't know if she talked about this, but I wanted to at least throw this in here um, because this is kind of like a growing trend in our perception of happiness. And that is I can visit happiness. Okay. And I get this all the time from people. If I just move to a different place or if I, you know, I just need a change of scenery and that will solve my problems. I've had people tell me that is the reason that they're leaving the church or our church is because they just need a change of scenery. They just need a change of pace. And I'm like, the truth is it's probably going to have the same problems in your new scenery or your new place that you had in your current place because the problems aren't associated with the place, they're associated with the person, sorry to say. Because the truth is that no place will make you happy. No place has that power. Um, But the reason we think it does is because a new place generally has the ability to force us to think uh, differently. It forces us to, you know, if we travel to a new place to experience some new things. And so therefore we think it helps and and provides that momentary burst of, of happiness and endorphins. Um, or, uh, we, uh, we, we are challenged. We grow through that experience of change in something. And so therefore we think we'll be happier because of it. But in reality, I think some of the reason that we, we get this idea confused that traveling or going on a new experience or a new place will make us happier um, is because we're growing. You know, there was an adventure involved with it and some challenge involved in it. So we did grow, which is great. Uh, but we think that's going to lead us to happiness. But again, it's only temporary. Or we get confused with the reality of the who again. Again, that it's really because of who we traveled with, who we experienced that new thing with, who we spent time with in that trip or in that new place that really made it ultimately the special thing that it was. It, it came back to the who, not the what. And the last myth is that God 
God gets in the way of happiness, gets just blocks our way, puts up a wall between us and having a good time. That God is more about what we can't do, what we shouldn't do, than what we can do. You can't go out drinking, you can't go partying, you can't swear, you can't lie, you can't have fun, you can't dance, especially if it involves moving the hips a little bit, even though the hips don't lie. If they move too much, that's not okay in God's world. And some of you grew up in churches where dancing was not allowed. That was not a thing, okay? Maybe ballroom dancing, I don't know. I didn't ever ask. But definitely anything that involves hips were not allowed. And so we grew up thinking that God is against happiness because sometimes to be happiness, you know, you get a little, you know, a little shimmy going on, okay? And so you perceive God to, you're welcome. That's recorded. You can go back and watch that anytime you want online. You perceive God to be a Debbie Downer, you know, kind of a fun hater. Uh, But the truth is that God, the truth is not this. The truth is that God wants you to experience blessing and joy, just like, you know, this. It's just a little, that that was my blessing to you today. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I got to stick to my notes. It's just safer that way. Um, Yeah, the the truth is, um, you know, there's nothing Uh, God is not keeping you from joy. What God wants you to not do is to lie, is to not be honest. God doesn't want you to make it all about the money um, or or the dance partying because those things can and often do inevitably lead to hurting yourself, hurting others, and hurting your relationship with your heavenly father, hurting relationships. And when that happens, you won't be happy because there is no broken relationship that anyone has honestly sat across the table with me and talked about and said, I'm happy because that relationship is broken. It's tough to be happy with broken relationships. So wouldn't it be nice in the midst of all that, if God stepped into our lives and our problems and our challenges and our relationships and said, hey, here is the instruction manual for how to have healthy relationships. In other words, how to experience happiness. And the good news is he did. In fact, he did, and it's a really good list. It's a really deep list, but a lot of us don't realize when we read this list, because if you grew up in church, you most definitely heard this list spoken about once or twice. We, we hear this list, and we don't think in terms of happiness, which is really unfortunate. And then on top of that, we kind of take our um, modern perceptions, our American perceptions, and we kind of put that over this list and we say, that can't be true. And so we just, honestly, we don't apply it. We think, oh, that's nice that Jesus said that, but we don't actually, you know, let it sink in here because it's not um, comfortable for us. It's not American. It's not in our nature to do this list that God gave us. And so we have to come into this, come into today for that matter, and be willing to change our perceptions. A great example of this is if you've ever seen shadow art. I'll say it one more time. Shadow art, okay? I'll give you an example of what that looks like, okay? So you walk into an art gallery and you see this picture, okay? And it's a table. And on top of it is a bunch of trash. Like there's some Pepsi cans, there's some Coke cans, um, there's some Stella Light up here, okay? Um, and, and it looks literally like a table of trash. And then, unfortunately, I think when we look at this list that I'm gonna walk you through, we see this. It's kind of like, ah, 
I mean, that was helpful at some point. You know, at some point, that Pepsi provided some relief to someone. Uh, but it really is just ultimately not something that I would use today. Until you take light and you shine it at the table of junk, and here's what that looks like. It's the skyline of New York City with the Twin Towers. It creates art. It creates beauty. It, it takes something that's not very appealing and makes it something actually quite incredible. I don't know about you. Maybe you're much more creative than I am, but I can't tell you I would have ever thought to do something like this. It's incredible, and it changes our perception, and that's what I hope this does. So I'm going to today walk you into this art exhibit, and you're going to look at something that you're going to resist, or you may not even realize you're kind of resisting it, and I'm hoping you'll be willing to think about how this has impacted you, and how maybe, just maybe, if you actually trusted this process, this manual, it could change your life for the better if you let the light hit it a bit. So I'm gonna give you a series of statements. Some will apply to you more than others. Some will resonate with you more than others. And that's okay, let it, let it. And you can always go back and read this on your own when you get home. In fact, you can read the whole thing because I'm just gonna read a little bit of the thing. But I'm asking you, please don't reject them or at least be aware when kind of your defenses go up and you're like, that's not for me. That's not how I live my life. That's not how I've gotten through my life so far because that's the biggest thing. Past performance dictates future decision-making, right? And so if you've done it one way for your whole life, it's really hard to change in the future. And so you're gonna resist some of these mentalities or these ideas or these values um, because of your past experience, okay? So here's Jesus. Um, it's called the Sermon on the Mount or if you grew up in church, the Beatitudes. And it's really famous. And so you may even be tempted to tune out because you've heard it so many times, but don't, okay, don't. Here's how he starts. He said, blessed. Now we're gonna stop right there, blessed. This word um, in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament was written in originally in ancient Greek, okay? Jesus probably spoke uh, Hebrew or Aramaic, and then it was recorded in Greek because that was like the predominant form of writing at that time. And so it was recorded in Greek, and then it's been translated since then into English. The original word here is, make, uh, let me say it right, makaios. And that word in Greek means blessings, happiness, or fortunate. Or a, transla a definition that I really liked um, was a transfer transcendent, a transcendent form of happiness in life beyond, that goes beyond care, labor, or death. One more time. This word, this word blessedness, in its original form to its original audience would have meant transcendent happiness of life beyond care, labor, and death. That's what Jesus wants to give his audience. That's what Jesus wants to give you. That's what God wants for you is to have that degree of happiness. And if you had that degree of happiness, what would we say in English? We'd say, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're so incredibly blessed. And here's how you go about getting that. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means this. It means acknowledging that no matter how much or how little you have, 
You are dependent on God to fill the void and voids in your life. Because this is my hypothesis at least, and you could disagree with this, but I think we're all born with a void. A void that needs filled. And so we try to fill that void in a lot of different ways. We fill it with our work. We fill it with our stuff. We fill it with challenges. We fill it with TV. We fill it with all these kinds of things. We just pour it into the void. And that void was ultimately meant to be filled by our Heavenly Father. But because of sin, we tend to reject Him and His part in our lives. And so people who are poor in spirit are willing to go into life, into um, opportunities and challenges and, and fill this void, not with worldly riches, not with power, not with opportunity, but with their heavenly father. Because people who are poor in spirit realize that the moment, the moment that they and the moment that you put your trust in riches, instead of the one who richly provides, you will be unhappy. The moment that you start to put your trust, trust for your future, trust for your life, trust for your value system, trust for your decision-making, and you choose to put that in the riches of this world, which not necessarily is financial, instead of the one who richly provides, you will be unhappy. But because you'll be replacing the who with the what. You're replacing the creator with his creation. And it will never work out. That's why there are poor people, middle-class people, and upper-class people that are unhappy. Because they're trying to fill their spirit with something it's not meant to be filled with. It's why we'll focus on riches versus the one who richly provides. And when we do that, um, it, it essentially takes all the burdens of the world and our life and puts it on our shoulders. We're not sharing that with anybody else. It's the moment when we start to try to control all the outcomes. And there's, there's a lot to be said about making wise decisions and making good decisions and investing wisely and being responsible with what we had. Jesus talks a ton about that. But it's saying ultimately at the end of the day, if you choose to put your trust in the riches of this world, it's all on your shoulders. It's all up to you. And when it goes well, you can be happy about it. But as you know, with being imperfect people, it won't always go well. And when it does, it's going to fall on you and you're going to feel bad and ashamed and guilty. And, there's, and you're not going to have peace and you're not going to have happiness in your life. So instead of trying to fill the void with the worldly riches, fill it with God. And I'm just gonna speak from personal experience. You don't have to believe this. This is just my personal experience is God has never stressed me out. God has challenged me. God has pushed on my insecurities, but he's never stressed me out. In fact, I look to him for peace. God has never stressed me out like the things I own do. God has never stressed me out like sometimes where I live stresses me out and the people who live around me or where I drive or business deals that I put together or broken vehicles or broken homes or career paths that didn't exactly go straight down the middle or opportunities when I'm really hoping for something and then it falls through. God doesn't stress me out like all of those things do. But it's in the moments when I'm poor in spirit and choose to be filled by him who richly provides that I find, and this is key here, consistent happiness. Not momentary happiness, consistent happiness. That's number one. 
Number two, blessed are those who mourn. Say what? Mourn, like sadness, grieving, lamenting. Those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourners are people who are comfortable facing brokenness, facing death, hardship, and especially uh, the hardship of others, and, and aren't afraid of it, aren't driven by it. Instead, meet that with compassion, care, and gratitude. Mourners are people who don't try to sanitize death. We talked about death on Easter. If you want to, you can go back and watch it. I know it's not a very exciting topic to think about, but it's actually really important to understanding Easter, and that's why we talked about it. They don't sanitize death. They don't run from it. They don't pretend that they're invincible. Mourners, to be a mourner or lamenter means that they appreciate the bad and therefore they can appreciate the goodness of the good even more deeply. This past week, um, <clears throat> crazy series of events, longer story than we have time to share today. But for the majority of this week, I was sitting um, next to, there we go, next to um, a Marine fighter pilot um, who had flown uh, Harrier jets for a, a decade, um, flown them into like Iraqi freedom and a lot, a lot of uh, experiences, uh, and then moved on to be one of the first people to uh, fly in the F-35 fighter, which is like America's premier uh, warplane today. Um, and so amazing stories uh, that he shared over our time together. And one of which that really stood out to me, uh, it took like 25 minutes to tell, so we don't have time today, so I'm summarizing it, but was the one time he had to eject from his uh, Harrier jet. And it was actually in a training flight. So he was the instructor and he had a student, which means he's flying one jet and the student's flying the other jet. And they are doing um, uh, low tactical uh, training. So they, they train on how to fight up in the upper parts of the sky, the middle, and then the ground. And they're doing on the ground. So they're very close to the ground. And so they were doing this maneuver where if you're getting shot at from the ground, you, you avoid it. And so essentially what you do with a plane is you shoot up and spin over upside down and then come back down like this, okay? And so his, essentially how this training goes is he does it a few seconds before his trainee does it so that way he can be down, he can model it, and he can watch, okay? And so he goes up to do that. He flips over completely and comes back right. And as he does it, the whole of his panel just lights up. And there's uh, a lady in... Um, uh, in most planes and commercial jetliners, especially if you ever watch them on YouTube, that, that yells things out. And so she yells out warnings, she yells out like distance from the runway, that kind of thing. And so she started yelling out, fire, 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 hydraulic failure, fire, uh, flap failure, fire, you know, just back and forth. And it's like, okay. And the other guy looking over at his plane realizes the plane is completely enveloped in flame. Uh, and so he gets on the radio and is like, hey, dude, your plane's on fire. And he's like, that guy was so chill, like my plane's on fire. And he's like, I'm trying to figure out what to do because below them is a forest in North Carolina. It's a swamp forest. Um, so he didn't want to land in the trees and like spray jet fuel everywhere and literally start this massive fire. So he saw some water over here, flames coming up the side. It's difficult to see behind you to see what's going on, but 
fire, the, the lady, her name's Betty. She's yelling fire, fire, fire. So he starts going over to, to put the plane down in the water. And um, uh, he, so he starts turning to do that. And at that moment, the plane just gave up totally lost all flight control and started to flip, inverted, which at that point, it's not a good point. Let's just put it that way. And so he instantly just pulls the eject and ejects out. The bummer is the canopy that covers, you know, Top Gun's coming out. So if you're not sure what I'm talking about, I guess you can go watch Top Gun. But the canopy is supposed to blow off and then the ejection seat, well, it doesn't. Um, and so his body literally shoots through the glass canopy that's supposed to protect him from the air around him going, you know, six, 700 well, actually, a 1,000 miles per hour sometimes. Anyways, and so his body shoots through it, rips his helmet off, you know, just shards him with glass, um, shoots out. He's so close to the ground, he doesn't have a lot of time, finds partially a clearing, tries to, you know, get his parachute and him down to the ground, uh, and in the process, catches the top of a tree. The tree swings him. He hits another tree, dislocates his shoulder, um, and lands standing up, actually, with a dislocated shoulder and, you know, bleeding everywhere. Um, and the helicopter couldn't come get him because of the densely packed trees, so he had to crawl through the swamp because the overgrowth is so dense. He had to crawl through it out to a road to get rescued. Crazy story. And then the guys who picked him up were like, who just walked? Like, could you imagine driving along? And then there's this guy with blood all over him, dislocated shoulder, walking out of the forest. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to keep driving, you know? Uh, but you Christian people, you'd stop, wouldn't you? And uh, they did. In fact, they gave him, like, the shirt off uh, their back to, like, wipe the blood off. And it was really incredible. He had actually a card. He laminated the card with their names and phone numbers on it because he was so grateful for their kindness. Um, so anyways... Uh, uh, so the point of this, though, being is, uh, he said, I couldn't, uh, no, I asked him, I said, my, my first follow-up question was, so how did it go the day you got back into an airplane? And he said, I was so afraid, I've never been so afraid to fly again. I didn't realize how much this would affect me. In fact, I couldn't talk about this experience for years because what had happened, it had shattered his invincibility. It had shattered his Top Gun, maverick, kind of cocky attitude. And he realized he wasn't invincible anymore. He faced death, mortality. He faced his own fragility. He couldn't uh, ignore it anymore. And so he had to make a choice. He could either wallow in his fragility and his mortality, or he could mourn the fact that one day it would all be over. And he came really close that day. And he chose to mourn it. And my perception was, as we kept talking, this is my perception, is it made him a better person. It made him a more humble, kinder, thoughtful, more grateful person. Because that's the person who sat next to me. Was not... Um, judging my piloting skills, uh, it was a kind, humble person the entire time we were together. And I bet you, as you kind of know, as I tell you the story deep down, you kind of know his life is consistently happier because he was someone who mourned and as a result was comforted and as a result was able to interact with the who's around him so much better and more deeply that it led to greater happiness despite the pain he had gone through. Jesus goes on, blessed are the meek 
for they will inherit the earth, which no parent ever says to their kids, hey kids, I just want you to be meek. That's not American. That's not our ideal. It's strength. Meek people, though, say, I'm not better than everybody else. Meek people says the, say that the world does not center around me. And they respect the value that an, each individual has in the world. Just like Jesus did. Who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for others, for many. Meekness. Meekness will lead to a happier life. Blessed are those, he goes on, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are not just hungry for it, but they are thirsty for it. Because consider your decision-making in your life. Maybe it was this past week, maybe it's your entire life. Think about your regrets. Think about the moments where you carry shame or that you're burdened by. Aren't those the moments when you should have hungered for righteousness, but you chose to be selfish. The moments that are associated with your shame and your guilt are the ones that ultimately made you the center, that honored you first. And guess what? When you do that, when you honor you first, in the moment, it feels good until you wake up in the morning the next day or until everything shakes out and you realize you were being really selfish and because you made yourself the focus, it hurt others and it hurt you at the end. Righteousness means doing the right thing routinely. Even when it costs you, even when it's not convenient, even when the pressure of the world around you says to do otherwise. Happy people choose the right route. They choose to honor others and honor God. And they not just choose that, they thirst for it, just as God did for us just as God chose to do the right thing, even though it cost him a little bit. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy people are people who don't seek revenge, who push away bitterness, who extend forgiveness, who extend grace, who extend empathy and curiosity. They extend mercy even when the person on the other end, the receiving end, doesn't deserve it. That's merciful. Because merciful people know that when you fail to extend mercy, you are instead by default, you can't choose otherwise, you are instead by default choosing bitterness. If you have bitterness in your life, there was probably a point that you should have extended mercy and you chose not to. And you will fail to have peace. Happiness will always be out of your reach because by resisting mercy, you chose bitterness and you cannot be happy and bitter at the same time. When God gave us Jesus, he did it because he was merciful. Even though we didn't deserve it, because I think deep down, otherwise God would have just existed as a bitter man, woman, deity. He just would have experienced bitterness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, purity is a unique thing. We don't talk about purity a lot anymore. Uh, it was kind of overused extensively back in the day by Christians um, on just one topic, one topic only, and that was sex. And now we only use purity in terms of like water purity, which is a real unfortunate thing, I think, because people who are pure in heart, I believe, really will see God. 
Because the number of times I've talked to people and they've said something along the lines of, or the conversation always starts of, you know, I should have seen that coming, Taylor. I missed it. I didn't realize this would happen. How do I make better decisions? I chose wrongly in that moment. One of the reasons they chose the wrong path, maybe you chose the wrong path, is because you weren't looking at God. You weren't thinking about personal purity, purity of your heart. Because you left no room for God because you were filling it, your heart, with impurities, with lust, with anger, with thoughts that God had no place to be a part of. And so what if you would ask God to fill your heart and push away the brokenness and guide you in a way, in a way that you cannot guide yourself, that an imperfect person cannot guide themselves, but God can. If you're willing to do that, you will see God. You will be blessed. You will be happy. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. Because we like confrontation, don't we? Oh, we like confrontation. We like to be difficult sometimes. We like to throw some anger out at people. We like to make them feel bad. It makes us feel good for a moment. For a moment. It's always in the short term. It's always in the short term. We like to make them feel bad. Why? Because then it makes the attention on us. It makes us the victim. It makes us the pity party, right? We're looking for somebody's pity. We're looking for their attention. We're looking for their respect. We want to have power. And so we yell a little louder. We upset the peace. Come on. When was the last time things were at peace? and you upset the peace. You said it in a way that wasn't very kind, and you upset the peace. And who are you making it about? You. You. And guess what? In that moment, because you upset the peace, you might have gotten somebody's pity. You might have gotten the attention. And it could have been, I don't know, by worldly standards, deserved, but you won't be happy. That relationship won't be happy. You won't be blessed, and you know that. Peace is a necessary part of happiness. So go into situations seeking peacemaking, not upsetting the peace. Now, hopefully one or a few of these have kind of struck home for you, resonated with you, because the bottom line, the bottom line after all of this is this. Happiness is a result of trusting God's way of living. Happiness is a result of trusting not yourself, not the world, not your worldly things, but trusting him in your way of living. Because if he is a good father, he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be blessed. That's why literally the top hits of Jesus, the summary of some of his best teaching is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right at the beginning, Matthew chapter five. I mean, Jesus pretty much starts his ministry and the first thing he says is, I want you all to be happy. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be so happy. It transcends labor and death. It's that good. And he said, you can find that when you start trusting, when you start following me and my way of living. God's way of living. It's an outcome. Happiness is an outcome of sowing and reaping. You're making decisions that trust God in your life. Not yours, but God's way of living. You're, you're trusting and becoming a person who mourns, who is meek, who is righteous, who is merciful, who is pure, who is a peacemaker, who is making peace to the people around them. 
But the truth is, it's not our norm. And you know it's not our norm. Because when I show you this list, you look at that and you're like, whew, that's a lot. I know that because I look at this list and I say, that's a lot. This one, I struggle with that one. That's a big problem with me. I've gotten a lot better at this one. I used to like, hey, I will debate you and I will win. And now I'm just, hey, tell me, tell me, talk to me about it. Let's, let's talk through it. Why? Because I want to make peace. I want to figure it out. I want to help. I want to serve. This is a tough thing to do, but it is a thing to do if you want a God's version of happiness. And if he is your creator, then don't you think he has a pretty good idea of what will make you happy? I mean, think about, just a second. Think about people in your life who are just good people, who are just really fine people. Think about the moments when your spouse is really great. You're like so grateful for your spouse. Think about happy people. Not like people who are just like, happy, but like just, you know, good, happy people. Are they the kind of people who are comfortable, who are comfortable with these qualities? who are comfortable mourning when there is something to mourn, to choose mercy if at all possible, to make peace whenever possible. Aren't they the kind of people who choose and are comfortable in these qualities? Or you think about the opposite. Think about the troublemakers in your life. Are they people who like these qualities? No, because this is the opposite of happiness and you are not happy as a troublemaker. Think about when the moments in your life when happiness escapes you. And I bet in those moments when happiness is escaping you, you will not find these qualities. It's not gonna do it. And you can ignore these qualities all you want. You can give in to everything around you that says these are weakness. These are weak qualities. Or, and, and live unhappy, or you can say maybe, just maybe, this is the pathway to happiness. That God, through Christ, taught me these so I would know him, follow him, have a good relationship with him, therefore a good relationship with others. I would make it about the who, not the what, and therefore I could be happy, not in a temporary way, not in a momentary way, but in a way that transcends the burdens of our world. So trust God. Trust his way of living, and I promise you, you will be blessed, as Jesus says, you could be. If you would, bow your head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is great to talk about this stuff. It's great to uh, wonder if, if it's really true that choosing to be meek in times when we're more comfortable being strong Choosing the right path, even when an easier path is available to us. Choosing to make peace, even though we feel, oh, beyond a reasonable doubt, we are so justified in upsetting the peace. Lord, help us in those moments. Give us the humility we need in those moments to realize that we can choose to go down those paths. We have the choice, we have the freedom to do that, but they will not make us happy. That in the moments 
that are tough, in the moments that are difficult, in the moments that are high pressure, high emotion, that we could come into them with the teachings of Jesus. And we could trust them because that's when we have to trust, right? In those moments, Lord, that it's difficult to decide to do those things. And instead of trusting ourselves, trusting sometimes what our anger calls us to do, what our bitterness calls to do, what our pain calls us to do, instead, we would do what you called us to do. And we would trust and we would draw ourselves closer to you in those moments. And in the end, find and realize and accept that we are actually happier because we chose to trust you. That we would humble our hearts and our minds. We would put our pride aside, our shame aside. We would let you handle that. And we just focus on you. And that we would be grateful in the end when we sit back and we say, I am happier. I'm experiencing a happiness that hovers above the world around me, that doesn't make sense, that is unexplainable, that is unprecedented, that doesn't work by the world's math but it works by yours. And we would trust in that. Lord, help us today to pray in this moment, a simple prayer that says, Lord, help me to trust you and trust your way of living. But we still have challenges, there's still hardship, but that happiness is no longer out of our reach because of you and Lord, help me to trust you and trust that. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.